Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We are three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Uh, excited to have you. Before we start, um, a couple of shout outs. First off, shout out to our wives. Very well received episode. Uh, any any thoughts, Tom and Jason, on how the episode went in your eyes? Well, my wife won't hear that shout out because apparently she doesn't <laughs> listen to us. So All I can say is they did a great job. I think they were, at least Lena was saying, she didn't know if they had anything good to say. But when I heard that, I was like, no, they had really good things to say. So glad they did it. Yeah, they did great. So thank you, wives, for doing that. Thank you all who listened. Second shout out, uh, our most famous co-host, Blue Check Verified. Oh. You have a sad car too now, right, Jason? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, oh, you I, don't. You know, not yet. I, so, I, I, I'm eligible if I wanted ooh, one. There, you should get it. Yeah. And you know, shout out at the end of the day, Jason is probably the most famous Korean American pastor of the last month. Uh, oh, you might have saw him on beef. Hey. Uh, and hey, we heard you guys. I think. 75% of our mailbag was just, what do you think about beef? And Stephen, cry- Stephen you went crying at Oh Come to the Altar. So <laughs> we're going to actually make a whole episode on that. Um, and we have more exciting stuff about the show in the future, which we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, shout out to our wives, shout out to Jason being on beef and being famous. So we, we love all that. But a couple of questions in the mailbag, just to start off really quick. Um, some easy ones. Uh, this is, <laughs> I've never been asked this. Is sinning in your dream... Uh, lust, pride, anger, a sin in, in reality. Great question. Uh, have you guys sinned in your dreams and is it a sin in reality? Dude, I've thought about this one because I heard a story where someone like lusted in their dream and they like repented of it and they talked about <laughs> how they had to repent. Uh-huh. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I never like thought of that. And the conclusion I've made recently is I don't think you sin in your dream. I think your dreams reveal mm. sins about you. I see. Because I, I think God, I do think in the Bible, God speaks to you in, in dreams potentially. And so at the most, if you're sinning in your dream, it might be revealing something about what's happening in your unconsciousness. But I'm not sure if I would put it on someone's conscience to say, you need to repent of that, brother. Like that's just not something I feel compelled mm. to. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting question because I've been thinking about that myself. Hmm. Jason, anything to add? That's a good answer. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Oh no, I think it's helpful. So if you're seeing your dream, you got you got deeper stuff going on in your in your real life. Uh, next question: uh, Any favorite local restaurant recs? How about we do this? Uh, if you could recommend just one restaurant, Jason, you could take L.A. Uh, Tom, you can take the O.C. And I'll just do General Bay. If you could just recommend only one restaurant. Which which restaurant would you recommend to our listeners? Dang, that's so hard. Give give me a like a genre. LA is kind of hard. No, you know what, Jason? Just your personal favorite. I don't know if that's that's easier or harder. I mean, we're not too far from summer, and so if someone okay. was visiting LA in the summer and they had to go to one spot, I'd probably tell them to go to Kilmok. Kilmok, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Solid choice. Tom? Uh, man, OC's hard too. It is. I would probably shout out my friend's restaurant, Morangak. Mm, Garden Grove. The Korean barbecue, but especially the, the naengmyeon. It's like North Ooh, Korean noodles. Straight from Pyongyang. It's excellent. 
Um, great spot. I would also recommend that. Uh, I'll break from the Korean tradition. If you're in the Bay Area, I mean, there's honestly the food scene's kind of whack unless you're in San Francisco. But there's this Indian Pakistani fusion restaurant called Zareen's in Palo Alto. If you ever have the chance, just go there and get the naan. It's really good. I've been to India, so it, it's the most similar I've I've tasted. And the chai, which is tea, is excellent too. So just if you're in the area, make sure you check that out. A um, couple of the questions are excellence and ambition, I think especially in vocation. Are those two things combati- compatible uh, with the Christian faith? Uh, any, any thoughts on that? I know we talk a lot about how work can become an idol. So I guess in the midst of that, how do you balance being striving for excellence and ambition? Is that is that sinful to do so? I don't think so. Um, I actually think that a lot of times our faith is used as a crutch Mm. and an excuse potentially for mediocrity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously like, yeah, with ambition, there's ambition can be dangerous and unhealthy um, depending on to what end, um, you know, what you are ambitious for. Um, But I think it's a matter of stewardship. You know, I think in many ways we've been given opportunities affinities, passions, giftings. And I think there's so many places in the Bible you can go to where God directs us to steward our gifts, resources, talents well. Um, And I think that that is basically being excellent um, and striving for excellence. So I don't think in and of itself it's bad. Obviously, um, you know, it can be like everything else. It can be manipulated or wielded in, in harmful ways, but yeah great hope that's helpful last two questions a little bit on the heavier side but um i think it's helpful to for us to process this together uh any advice for a family who's left a church after over a decade of attending Uh, any advice on how to heal from church trauma uh yeah i think that's a good question to ask i think not and it's not really ever asked in the public to um because of the shame attached with that question so Hmm. yeah for three of us any thoughts on that situation and how you could heal from that type of trauma Hmm. like the whole family huh whole family after a decade i'm sure not even just attending i'm sure they were members and serving um and if you're there for a decade you're probably leading something so I'm not sure if this actually is the way you should go, but this is the way I've seen people go is oftentimes when you go to a church where there's trauma, they tend to go to a church that's really different than the church they experience trauma to like detox from it. So for example, if you went to like a small Asian American church and you experienced trauma, a lot of them go to like this big mega church to be anonymous. Mm. And again, not to, I'm not sure how like active you'll be in a church like that, but they tend to experience some type of like detoxing through it where it makes you look at your Asian American church experience in a different way versus if you just went to another Asian American church right away, it might be too triggering. So I could see the benefit of that detox moment. Mm. At the same time, I'm not sure if you'll, you know, where you go from there. Uh, do you stay at that mega church? Do you have to, do you go back to the place where you're most effective? Um, but I do know like some type of like detox period might be helpful. Uh, and that's just something I've seen. Mm. I think that's good. I I think, and this is more a general rule of thumb, 
but I would also say like don't downplay the trauma because I know it's kind of weird. I know when you use trauma in that setting, it's like oh the other things are more traumatizing. Like it's not like someone abuse or maybe someone did abuse you. I don't know. But uh, I would take some time to like you know if you were there for a decade, that probably means you're taking your faith very seriously, and to be cut off and you know walk away from that community of faith and literally a family, a spiritual family, that's very traumatizing. So I I wouldn't downplay it generally because I think the the natural reaction might be like, oh, it's just church and, you know, I'll find another one. But no, I think take some time, like Tom said. Maybe, I know this might sound weird, but maybe even take some time and like a month, and not an extended period of time, but just a time where you like, you don't go to church and just as a family try and have some sort of worship together. I do think that might be helpful just to give some time for healing. Dang, you got all the conservatives mad with that <laughs> statement. I mean, hey, if that's that's just the, the icing on the cake with our podcast, right, guys? <clears throat> so good all right cool um lastly um again heavier question but again helpful to process together any advice on someone in their early 20s losing a friend of the same age um, how can we grieve well and how have you experienced grief yourself and how was that process for you yeah so i think you know grief is often a tough emotion to go through especially being asian american which i'm presuming this person is but yeah, any advice on someone uh, a lot younger having to deal with that um, and any advice on grief in general? Yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing I would say is that I wish I could say it like gets easier as you get older, mm-hmm. but I feel like um, losing a friend in any stage of life is pretty difficult. And um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, allowing yourself to grieve well essentially looks like um allowing yourself to not really understand or have a clear process because i think everyone grieves in different ways and it's grief is a messy thing and i think because we have things like the five stages of grief or whatnot people think that grief is like Mm -hmm. a linear process that you go through these stages one at a time but what i found whenever I've experienced any, you know, having, you know, when I've had to grieve the loss of loved ones, um, I find that like I go in and out of all the stages at different points in the game. And sometimes Mm -hmm. just when you think the grief is over, like something will hit you and you'll be right back in it. And so I think um, the first thing is, and I'm, I'm going to presume this person is Asian American. I'm not sure, but I think a lot of our mm-hmm. listeners are. I'm pretty sure. Um, I will say just allowing yourself to feel all the emotions, I think, is really important. Because I think even that piece is something that I don't know that we've been taught well. And I think a lot of us have grown up being taught to suppress our grief and suppress our emotions. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say... That's the first thing. And then I would say, too, is grieving with community. And we have we say this all the time on our podcast. But I find that even just having people along with you, um, just um, to listen, to walk alongside, you know, even if, if it's just for you to vent, um, just having that community of brothers or sisters um, around you is, is so huge. Um, mm. just people who are with you throughout that entire process. And so. Hmm. 
Hope that's helpful. I, I think Jason was best suited to, to answer that question by himself too. So hope that was helpful with that. Again, if you have any questions, uh, DM us on our Instagram at Off the Pulpit. Um, but with that, we will now center our whole episode on this has been the most asked DM that we've all received uh, on, on our on our Instagram and also random comments. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about beef. Uh, if you haven't watched beef yet, take a moment to pause and just watch it. I'm, I'm sure I would say 90% of our listeners have watched beef. Uh, we wanted to kind of really specifically get to a couple scenes, but mainly the scene of uh, Danny or Steven Yuen um, breaking down in the church with you know a song that Jason Min led and his brother led as well. And also, I want to I want to add some comments on when Stephen uh, does Amazing Grace too. But yeah, that that scene has been it's like famous. And Jason, you're famous now too. There's like TikToks breaking down the scene, and I've I've seen your name and your Instagram post mentioned. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I just want to ask you, yeah, any memorable moments filming those scenes? And who would have thought, right, that that scene that you filmed would be the the scene, right, Jason? Yeah, I I I thought that really that was like the most. Even this whole process has been so weird because going into it, we really thought like who outside of like this very small niche audience of second generation, like Asian Americans are going to understand that scene at all. So we really thought if anything, like I, I had just no idea, like the kind of impact that those moments would have. Um, but yeah, I mean, need like needless to say, we. I mean, I'm sure we we've, we've all seen like there's been so much commentary on Twitter, like all over the media, specifically about those scenes, and a lot of it has been even from like non Asians, which has been really interesting as well. But um, for me, the most memorable moment, hands down, um, filming those scenes was on the day we actually shot that scene that you're referencing um, the O come to the altar scene. Um, Shout out to Jane, our worship director at at our church right now, who did an incredible job on that song. But um, that scene, we had, you know, every scene, like you have to shoot it multiple times. Mm. And so we're just, it's, it's, it's such an, it's like a meta experience because you have all these churched people. Yeah basically all day long having to like practice singing this worship song, Mm. you know? Um, And there was a moment when we were filming when like, they were like, okay, let's, we're just going to cut the cameras. I put it on my Instagram as well on my post and they kind of cut the cameras and we just all sang pretty much like we sang to the track and we all, everyone in the room sang in unison and why it was such an like it was such an interesting moment and an emotional moment um for me personally was like on one hand everything about that moment was so contrived like we were in a church that they like found and and they made look like an oc church you had cameras everywhere you know, you had like producers and, you know, makeup artists and set designers like all over the place. So in some sense, it was a very, if it was like a, on, on one level, it was a very made up environment. Yeah. But as we're singing that song, this song that if you've 
been in the church world for any length of time is a song that's so familiar to us and you you just are worshiping there was also something about that moment that was so authentic and real that it was like for a moment i like we almost forgot that there were cameras there you even saw some of the people in the video like even without the cameras rolling their like hands were raised you know and hey maybe maybe even the background work characters are method acting who knows <laughs> but honestly like in that moment like i talked to our fellow praise band members as well as you know everyone a lot of people who were there and they pointed to that moment as there was something like special in the room and even when we were at the premiere, the director, um, Jake Schreier, specifically came up to us and said, you know, those three days of filming, like, you know, he he was there for the entire process, but he was like, those three days of filming in the church, it was different, you know, mm -hmm. and I just felt like a different energy. Um, there was a kind of peace that he experienced that he couldn't really explain. And so, yeah, like it, it was just... I don't even know what I, I, I still haven't fully processed that experience and that moment. Um, it, you know, and also like, you know, you talk about the lyrics to that specific song, mm. like, are you hurting or broken within? It's almost like there's quite, the song is like a series of questions, right? Mm. Um, and it was almost like while everyone there, a lot of people who probably weren't churchgoers, some who were, um, it was kind of forcing all of us to kind of regularly ask these questions throughout the day. Cause we, again, we had to sing the song like so many times. And so, yeah, that was hands down the most memorable part. So even though you didn't know that scene was going to blow up at the moment, you did feel like, Oh, something was different in this moment. Like you caught something a hundred percent. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I, we're going to talk about the scene specific probably for the latter half of the episode. But that was, it was crazy when I was watching it because I was like, they finally got the Christian faith depicted accurately, at least in my context, where I was like, hands raised, tears and all that, even the pastor coming up and randomly praying and saying, you know, welcome to the family. It's a little, little cultish when you think about it from a meta view. But um, no, I, Man, I that, that, was, that pastor. Yeah. Like looked and spoke more like a pastor than I did. I, I think all three of us, to be fair. Yeah, like there, there was a moment when like he came up to me and was like, hey, when you pray for your congregants, like, do you put your hand on their head, on their like back? Like, do you put your hand on their body yeah. at all? You know, and like he was asking me these questions. and But in my mind, I was like, dude, I should be asking you these questions because you look exactly like my youth pastor. <laughs> like... He he got it down perfectly. He got the uh, hand on the back that all Korean pat we've all felt that <laughs> pat on the back. Yes. Randomly. Dude, you and him should plant a church called Living Glory in the <laughs> OC. I bet you so Dude, many people would come. You you no, you I think you would get a lot of people showing you up. You get a lot of people, man. You should buy out that building you did the filming at. Where was that building, by that the was, way? That was that was actually in Chatsworth. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So I mean I, I really want to get into that scene um, because I think there's so many things to unpack. But before we do that, um, any, any general thoughts on the series? Uh, I guess, you know, for me and Tom specifically, but even for you, Jason, I know, I'm, I'm sure you didn't know the whole storyline as well. So I'm sure as that came out, it was 
it was more of a surprise. But yeah, any any general thoughts on the series for beef before we get into that scene specifically? You know, I I was interested in it because I knew Jason was going to be on. And so I was actually tempted. I'm just going to watch episode three. And I think it was episode, what, five or six. Um, but then, you know, when I heard Stephen Yoon and Ali Wong, I was like, oh, this might be a legit series. And it's about Asian Americans. And then when I started watching it, I was like, wow, this is like my life. <laughs> like this is, you know, all, even like the music. It's like the, you know, the 90s yeah. rock band music. Yeah, I'm like, oh, my States. gosh. Yeah, so nostalgic. So, yeah, man, I could you could just tell that this person is like this millennial Korean American who went through the track that we all went through and at the very least you just resonate with like even though like you know obviously there's like this interesting storyline going on it's like all the small details that are there that just makes you yeah makes you nostalgic and makes you like relate to it so that's been really fascinating I I I'll be honest Jason I remember you told you Jason told us about this series like months ago and I was just like okay like I'll watch it because Jason's in it I started episode so on one night me and my wife started episode one and she's like I'm gonna go to sleep on episode three and I was like okay good night and I just binged the whole I couldn't stop because it was like so short and so captivating um and you know I I think if everything works out you know Sung Jin who's a creator good friend of Jason we're gonna try and have him on and and we'll get more into that then but man I I thought one yeah Tom's right that was the most accurate asian american california especially southern california depiction but two i think that's one of the best like christian art pieces i've ever seen um i don't know if it's uh, on purpose or not but i told the guys too like that whole series was just basically ecclesiastes in the book of just how like you can get everything you want but it's not going to satisfy you so i thought that was really well done um i yeah the act i'm gonna be i i don't want to be a movie critic but like Stephen Yuen, Stephen Yuen did a really good. Job. I don't think he was acting. I feel like that's just him. Like that's his own experience. Ali Wong did a really good job. But yeah, I was just so taken aback because it's the first time for me. Because you know we Squid Games or Itaewon Class. Those are very those are Korean shows. You know, and it's like oh that's cool seeing you know my homeland there. But this was the first show where I was like oh no this is like us and we like finally made it and our story is number one on netflix you know so i there was a moment of kind of like pride there too there were some interesting reviews that i also read there's this one spanish reviewer that hated the series which we'll get into in a little bit but other than you that know, it's you know it's like it's like when uh people saw yao ming in the nba <laughs> yeah. and the chinese people could kind of relate to him but then we saw jeremy lin yes yes, playing the yes NBA, like oh good. then you can really relate yeah. right yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. this was jeremy this was a jeremy lin moment for us on entertainment so yeah, I was just blown away of how relatable and how excellent it was too. So, Jason, any, anything else for you, Dad? Yeah, like I one thing I loved about uh, the show was, I mean, for all the reasons you stated, um, and I promise this has nothing to do with like my personal involvement in it, or you know, like or my little brother or anything. It's okay, but it's okay, Jason. <laughs> take take the glory. But um, yeah, I. On, on one hand, it was such a normal, non-stereotypical storyline, mm. you know, that was based on a very ordinary, like, event, like a universally understood event, like a road rage incident, right? And so on one hand, it was so normal, and it just normalized, an in- like, a very, like, it it just it just normalized Asian Americans on screen without like 
overly Asianizing us, if that yes. makes sense. But at the same time, it never let go of our identity as Asian Americans. Like it spoke so deeply into our lived experience. And to toe that line, I find is so hard. You know, like I either you like just play the Asian card from beginning to end. Yeah. And it becomes like this is an like just an Asian show. Um, you know, or like you, I mean, or you just go the opposite direction and you lose the Asian identity and you could have replaced all the characters with white people and it would still play the same. But this was not that. Like it had to be this cast and it had to be like Asian Americans. And I think it spoke to Asian Americans in a very specific way. But at the same time, it was so like normal that it was awesome. You know, even when you say that, even the scenes when Ali Wong's character and Paul, the younger brother, like start their affair, it's like, oh, we, but we can't touch. You know, in a white show, that would never. It was just like, let's get, let's get down to sex immediately. You know, but that was so believable because, like, that's exactly what happened in an Asian American adulterous affair. So, and I was like, they got these small details so well down. I was like, man. It's crazy that it's done well, but yeah, go on. Yeah, no, totally. And and you could feel like even my brother was saying like on, I mean, he's been on so many different sets, but he was saying like he, he, when they were shooting the basketball scene, even when we were in the church, like he was like, he felt almost embarrassed because mm. he's never been on a set with so many like, Asian Americans and yeah. on a set that felt so real to his own personal experience and childhood yeah, yeah, that he almost like didn't even at times didn't even see himself as an actor. Like he was just that like boy in youth group again, you yeah. know, like trying to like be cool in front of his like, you know, friends, you know, in front of the girls. Like, yeah. It's, it's just, it was just, and, and I think a lot of people just felt like that. It was just like a, just a weird experience, but but beautiful at the same time. Uh, from that, again, really quick before we get into the deep stuff, uh, any most relatable moments and scenes for you guys from Beef where you're like, oh, shoot, that they got that spot on? And and, and, and did you feel like any scenes were not? Because there's one one scene that I'm like, oh, he kind of got it wrong, but I'll explain a little bit. But yeah, any any relatable scenes for you guys? There was a scene, I'm not sure if it was relatable, but I'm like, ooh, that's something non-Asians won't understand. Does you remember? By the way, I didn't finish the series, so don't... Oh, good thing get, I didn't yeah, spoil anything. Don't spoil the, the last three episodes. But um, remember when, when they went to Vegas and uh, they caught their younger brother? And then I think they, like, smacked him and so forth. And the younger brother's like, dude, I could, like, kill you right now or I could pound you. And Steven Yeun didn't really, like, flinch. And you look at them like, dude, that brother could totally kill Steven. But, dude, like, he would never hit his young you know that's just not something you do and i could so, totally resonate with that because i you know i have an older brother and i'm like bigger than him now i would never hit my older brother no matter what he did to me and there's like that's just something non-asians will never understand i think if that was like a white show dude he would totally like knock out his older brother but in an asian show there's like that such strong honorific culture that's there that no matter what your older sibling does you just won't retaliate physically so that was a fascinating detail that, that i noticed Mm. Mm. Um, I think they got the praise team dramas so so spot on. Mm -hmm. Like the mm -hmm. the fact that Justin's main character, your brother's character, was the praise team leader was such a good decision. Because mm. like, 
man, they they could make a whole other show just on praise team dynamics. You know, like who's mm-hmm. up there? Wait, Tom, you saw the basketball scene already, right? When he loses his cool, and I was just yeah. like, dude, we all know your brother. Like, and one, they, like they might go to our church right now. That like they love the brand of being on you know stage and all that stuff. But in reality, they're gonna lose their temper on the basketball court. So man, I was like, man, they really got that praising drama down so well. Um, wait, Tom, did you get to the point where Steven leads his own yeah. set? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the, when when you see just your brother's face, I was like, dude, I felt so that good. sometimes too, right? Like, so I'm on good. I'm on break and some guy plays bass and like, oh, he's he's so much better than me, you know? So. <laughs> I was like, damn, that this was so good. Or it's like, well, it's like that deactivation of service. Like when you're not, when you used to be like the guy mm, mm, serving yes. like in your campus ministry, you're like the president. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go to like a church and you're like fairly new, just a member. You're like not worshiping at all. So true. It's so funny how that captured that, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So spot on. And yeah, these- I mean, uh, agreed. Like all the worship, the, the praise team scenes were so... Even the even like Stephen uh, playing like that Incubus song on stage, <laughs> you know, it's just like that. Pre- you know, that person who always grabs the guitar and yeah, has yeah. a little bit of a crowd around him. You know, it's like and and they're playing like it. Could, I mean, it, it's never a praise song. You know, it's always like you know, like Passions Lemonade or something like that. <laughs> no, exactly. Like those small details man that was it was so spot on the the only detail where i was like oh this is not realistic was when the pastor agreed to give them a hundred thousand dollars to fix the church <laughs> it's like they don't know how cheap korean pastors are they, they would no korean pastor would ever allow that they would fix it themselves you know so i was like that's that's the only thing where i was like oh they didn't do enough research <laughs> on the stinginess hey but who who found that or who designed that church like that's like everybody's childhood church, like yeah. that small—not small, but like kind of like broken down, intimate setting. Like you would never see white people in, in a church like that. A hundred percent. We all walked in, and we felt like, "Oh my gosh, we're back! We're back at our home <laughs> church." Um, yeah, and you know, like honestly, shout out to to Sunny and the whole team because they they went to extreme lengths to get every detail perfect like he Mm. was asking me like hey like what kind what like he he would send me pictures of like what coffee canister like reminds you more of that church you know Mm. you know like the the, it it was it was the silver ones you know (laughs) um and 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 he was like you know would would they have apples or like sliced oranges is it cookies? You know, like every, like every, Damn. you know, those questions. Um, and they, they're like s- split second shots, but they give you a, they like all contribute to the vibe that you get, you know, watching it. Um, even those, it, it was donuts, right? Yeah. So donuts. Even eating a donut. Oh, yes. So good. Yes. Even Perfect. the, uh, after meal vibes, like they got it. <sighs> so so good. I was like, dude, that's, this happens all the time, you know? There's been already like a thousand think pieces on that one particular scene, especially when Danny, Stephen Yuen's character, walks in to church. And this is kind of the beginning of just the show where, he, you know, you can see how messed up his life is. Uh, Jason and the team, they're playing Oh Come to the Altar. And you just slowly see him break down. And there's been like a thousand think pieces, a thousand ideas. Um, and, 
even Tom, I think, posted some um, thoughts too. But we want to take some time just to really break that down. Just our own thoughts of that. Of uh, what what's happening. And and one question I want to guys start off that conversation is like, why do you think that church scene in particular resonated with so many people, especially Asian Americans, and especially people that aren't? Because you know, I was <laughs> it was random, but I was randomly on CNN.com today, and one of the homepage articles was. Uh, beef's church scene hits in reality and when I read it the author was white and I was just like what the heck like even white cnn.com is writing about this and which is crazy to me but yeah why do you think that scene in particular resonated with so many people in tiktok and just mainstream media as a whole well I think what happened was a lot of the commentary happened on social media and I actually think the commentary were mainly from like Korean Americans Mm. and like the people are like catching on like this is resonating with folks and what was fascinating about that was, did you hear Ali Wong's comment about that scene? Not yet. So Ali, I read an article. Ali Wong was saying she saw that scene and she told Stephen Yoon, like, dude, that was like the funniest scene I, I, I've seen. And Stephen Yoon was like, well, what was so funny about that? And she's like, oh my gosh, it's so hilarious. And then Stephen Yoon was so confused why she was laughing. And so she said like she had to step away. But then she was like, it was even funnier that Stephen Yoon doesn't know how funny it is. you know. So that's like, that was her take of it. And I realized like, oh, this might be this like unique thing that like Korean Americans just know. Mm-hmm. Like we've all either been in that moment or we've seen people in that moment in worship. Not to say that other races didn't, but like this is like universal mm-hmm. for like every Korean who worshiped. And I feel like that scene is just a, like this emotional moment that we all related to and it transported us back whether we still believe or whether we had a moment like that we don't know how to make sense of it now um but that was just such a relatable thing that feels so far from some people and so i think that kind of touched viscerally for a lot of folks because again it's a universal experience especially for korean american christians yeah i mean i i don't in any way want to compare this podcast beef in terms of scale but i think when we first started the podcast Mm. we often the things we said a lot like when we were talking about our retreat stories or (laughs) you know our like our trauma experiences in the church i think all three of us felt like man this is such a niche thing that isn't gonna i don't think like anybody's gonna care except the three of us you know but i think immediately like though it may not have been a universal experience for like that generation of Asian Americans, specifically Korean American Christians, it like hit a nerve and it, it touched on something that nobody like people were like, nobody like, like articulated this or nobody even discussed this or talked about it. But it was like, we talk about all the time, like the three of us grew up in such different, different contexts and environments and yet our stories are so similar and that Mm. just shows you that like that one scene like it basically was speaking to like an entire generation of asian american christians you know in a in a really yeah like tom said very visceral way that we had never seen on screen before yeah because i'm thinking even to myself because you know when that scene happened I was like, whoa, this is this is crazy. Like, they got it so well. And I was like, why is it resonating with me, at least? And to Tom's point, 
like when you look to the black church, for example, they're like every Sunday is like that. It's just an emotional ride. And also in their, you know, in the culture of, you know, just black music or just black culture, it's very emotional. Like you can express your emotions, whatever it may be more open than us. I realize it resonated with me because for us, we're taught our whole lives. Don't show your emotions at home, at school, with your friends, straight face. You know, even at funerals, right? And back to that question, I remember like it was weird that at funerals, they're almost kind of expected like, oh, if you're crying, stop. Like you, you have to hold yourself together for the sake of the community. But the one place we could show our emotions was at these church events and usually retreat nights where you could kind of let it all go under the guise of spirituality. And I realized like, oh man, it resonated because even if you aren't going to church right now, you remember, you remember the one time you were allowed to be emotional and maybe it was misguided emotions was at a church setting of some sort. And like whether it's tears, whether it's laughter, whether it's whatever it may be, the church is a special place for a lot of people, Korean American, because it's the one safe place where you can feel that and also express it in, in, in often weird ways. Now, was it emotional manipulation and stuff like we're going to get into that, but we all felt that. And I think that's why it resonated with us as a people so deeply. And I liked what I liked about the scene too, was you didn't get a sense. The director was trying to tell us to interpret this a certain way. Mm. Like, are, are they making fun of this? It didn't seem like that. Are they, are we supposed to feel like, man, this is like this deep emotional moment. Like, you know, I don't know. Cause that's like, what's Steven new thinking in that moment. And it was like this unspoken thing that happened. And I feel like, again, as an Asian American who enter retreat settings like that, no one told me at those moments, like, hey, cry right now. You have permission to cry at this moment. Mm. It was almost just something that you saw modeled, like people at this moment, like they're letting out their emotions. And it's the first time you, like you mentioned, Eugene, like you almost saw this implicit permission to be, to be emotional. And I think again, all of us, we, we, it's like, you don't talk about it. You don't really share about it. Even in your small group afterwards, you don't tell people, man, I just broke that. Like, that's not <laughs> something that a lot of people do, yeah. mm -hmm. but to see this shared experience on screen that we all implicitly know is there, that was just really interesting. And like Jason mentioned, the fascinating that it's captured for us like that for the first time, on the big screen, like, mm -hmm. yeah, very, very uh, interesting. And, and to Tom's point, you know, like the one of the reasons because originally like my involvement in the show was supposed to be strictly like on a consulting level you know oh, like you weren't even supposed to be on screen yeah like my you know oh. my, originally like uh when sunny he just asked me to meet with his writing you know his writers yeah yeah um answer questions about the church um but i think the more they talked about the scene and the more it kind of developed in their minds kind of to tom's point they were like okay we don't want to um we don't want to almost create a moment like where like we don't want it to be a parody um mm. you know like we don't want to get actors to act like praise team members and then we don't want to like get extras to act like churchgoers and so everyone is kind of caricaturing some version of like a praise team member or a churchgoer in their mind. It was like, let's create as authentic of a moment as possible. So let's get like a real praise band who does this all the time. Let's get actual, you know, churchgoers who go to worship 
many of whom go to worship on a weekly basis mm. and let the audience interpret that moment for what it is. So will mm. some people see it as like, oh, they're like making fun of the church? <clears throat> Maybe. But what I heard a lot was like, I kind of wanted to make fun of it, but then I was also, it felt so real to me yeah. and I didn't know why. And then yeah. I realized, oh, it's because like, it was like every part of it was as, as, as much as they could control was real. Yeah. And then the interpretation was almost left to the viewer. And yes. so for, I think for some, you know, they, it, for who, for whom this resonated so deeply, it was a, such a different experience, maybe watching that moment than maybe someone, mm. you know, outside of the church or not Asian American. And so, yeah, that was a very intentional decision then to bring us into the fold. Hmm. So from there, I, I think that's a really good segue because I, Hey, I think Sonny, home run like grand slam that is very genuine but from there there's a lot of interpretations we just talked about and a lot of them centered around the emotional aspect of the christian faith um i've heard takes where it's like man this scene just shows how emotionally manipulative the church is um it also shows like uh i heard other takes where it's like you know stephen Yuen's character has his emotional moment but there's no transformation so it's showing us how Emotions can be misleading, especially with spirituality. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of open it up to you, just a broader conversation on what is then from this scene, which I think is very genuine, which is an accurate depiction of, of the Korean American experience. What is the role of emotion uh, in our faith and in the church experience? Because it's, it's, you know, it's a weird relationship, emotions in the Korean American church and faith. It's there, but it's not there. It's accepted, but it's not accepted. So I guess for you guys, I know that's a pretty general question, but any 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 thoughts or any leanings on that? I mean, I resonate with people who say the church can be emotionally manipulative. Mm -hmm. I felt that all the time when I would enter into Protestant spaces as a non-Protestant. I'm like, it's very clear what you're doing when you're playing like those C minor chords in the background. <laughs> Like that doesn't, that doesn't happen in the Catholic Church, dude. Just organs. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, when you when you hear that, uh, and you know the way like they would talk and that you know mm. to altar calls, like you yeah, just yeah. yeah, it felt just like such like an emotional, um, just trying to stir your emotions. So I totally get that. Um, at the same time, though, like, man, that scene. I think, like what Jason said, filled in a lot of blanks for me. It was real. Like it captures something real and it almost shows to me like, oh, genuine worship, it involves your emotions. Mm. Like it's not just this intellectual ascent that you're doing or even just this action of singing, but there is emotives, emotions that are supposed to be poured into those moments. And to me, it almost makes you think back of all the times we worship together and how, like, how real is that for you? Mm-hmm. Like, are we just going through the motions, faking it? We profess we believe in Jesus, but, mm. you know, there's nothing in your heart that's being poured forth. And so to me, I feel like, um, yeah, you, again, you don't want to be emotionally manipulative, but that scene resonates with how maybe phony our worship can often be because it's so devoid of emotion. Yeah. Um, and maybe in the Asian church, that's just kind of normalized or, or sensationalized. Mm. Um, but... I do think emotions, it's supposed to be a part of it because it's so real, like emotions, like that's, it's such a real thing that you experience. And I think that's what we remember our retreats when we had those emotional breakdowns, because as strange as it might've been, 
as wild as it might have been, it was a real, there's real emotions that are attached to that moment. So mm. those are just some like random thoughts in my mind. Yeah, no, I, I like what Tom brought up. I, I think, you know, tying to my own personal experience, those emotional experiences you have in church are real. Now, are they spiritual? Are they Christ-centered? Are they God-glorifying? Maybe, maybe not, you know? Like, I remember I read one post where I was like, I thought I was religious this whole time, but I just like going to concerts. And I was like, oh, that's such a that's such a good depiction. Like, I wish, you know, Jason, I know you, maybe I'll tell something. I wish the, the only change I would make to beef, I know it's be impossible, but if Steven went to a retreat and then <laughs> broke down, I'd be like, this is totally realistic right because for us sunday services usually you don't do that that moment resonated usually at a retreat experience because you're far away you're you're kind of away and then you can have that emotional outpouring um i think tom, i was going to mention that what tom mentioned but i think to our point some experiences and and denominations or expressions of our faith you know mainly the pentecostal charismatic i do think it can be extremely emotionally manipulative right um, and that's that's a whole other episode. But I think for our circles, especially these conservative reformed circles, and I think living glory is seems semi-reformed. Who knows? But um, there, it's it could be devoid of that emotion. And I think that scene resonated because we all felt that at one point. And it's weird. I think as you get older, especially in your faith, it's almost like, oh, I don't want to show that emotion at all in public. So I think for us, it's like a question of like. Where are the spaces our emotions come out? And, dude, the good thing about beef is, you know where your emotions come out in church? On the sports field. <laughs> right? That's why every basketball tournament, every flag football tournament, there's injuries, there's trash talking. Why? It's not just because of the competitive nature. We have all, like, I always tell people, like, why does Turkey Bowl get so crazy? It's because that wide receiver that's lined up, they're not playing against the cornerback. They're playing against their dad. They're playing against, like, some, some traumatic figure that they're finally letting out on the field. So I think for us, it's like, Tom's right. How do we express our emotions correctly? Let's forget about the, we'll talk about the manipulation piece in a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it's such a bigger question because I'm like, man, that's a moment we can all relate to. But do we have that moment at church a lot in our churches these days? Like, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's so funny that you bring up like, yeah, if it was at a retreat, that it's more appropriate. But a Sunday worship you wouldn't see that. And even the in the scene, after, you know, when he had that emotional breakdown, Stephen Yoon, and then they went up to him asking, hey, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And, you know, he doesn't talk about that moment. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Like, I think if any of us had an emotional breakdown during Sunday worship and someone noticed us, we wouldn't really elaborate on that moment to them right away. we just like, ah, you know, I just had a moment and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So that's yeah. really funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the my favorite take is... I've been seeing so many different takes on that scene. And my favorite take was actually um, by a friend of mine named Jason Chu, um, who's a musician. And I shared it on my um, on IG. But um, he based his his thing was like, where a lot of people when they watch the scene, they ask the question, man, see, this is how the church manipulates you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and one thing he said was, you know, that's that's actually the wrong question because all art is manipulation. Yes. And and something he said was that art in is like is morally neutral and it's basically what art is is base is creating something that you're trying to elicit emotions. You're yes, trying to yes. get people to feel something, right? Yes. Um and and so he was saying the question we should be asking not is is not like, oh, am I being manipulated right now? Because you are. 
like even when you hear a sermon mm. like a good preacher is you know like it to you know i know manipulation has a has a bad sure. kind of connotation no, but, but yeah 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 they are they are using all the tools in their toolbox to essentially get you to feel something right or get you to connect to a story and so you know his thing was like the question you should be asking is not are you being manipulated it's can you trust the person creating this moment for you to show you things you want mm -hmm. or are you being manipulated in a way that makes you into someone you don't want to be and so mm -hmm. the idea is yes i think a lot of churches used like manipulation tactics to get people to you know um give money or play yeah give yeah, money yeah. um feel guilty or put people in a place of shame um where they needed to pledge allegiance to the church or a leader um yeah and, and that's where it becomes very dangerous you know but when you use art in a way to get people to feel something to connect people you know we we had this we talk about this on other episodes where we talked about even worship music and things like that um i think that line of like no like we we that is what we're trying to do actually like we want people to engage their mind their emotions their bodies all of it in worship you know and so yeah i i mean i liked that take and and i think for me like i just was happy that the it was it just it yeah again it just named what happened and it didn't make any kind of like moral judgments on what happened yeah. you know yeah um yeah like was was it a completely like momentary thing where like you know he completely forgot about it in the next moment was it a seed that was planted inside of him you know that even if he kind of went back to his old ways that there was still that like you know tenderness that tender moment or like that real experience he had with god but they don't really comment on it you know they just kind of leave it as as it is and i think that was that in and of itself was really powerful and there's a genius to that because whether it was intended or not like in the show it's almost like what was that moment right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's actually true with a lot of us in our lives mm -hmm. like if you went to church and you had that moment like that but let's say you're not going to church anymore yeah you look back at that moment you're like what was that in my life yeah like Something about that felt real. You maybe don't believe in God anymore, but you know, how do you yes. explain that moment? And so it, it's kind of like this parallel thing. Like, what the heck was that in that in that series? What the heck was that in my life? So I love how that connection is there. Yeah. To that point, I think it's like that. The show did. I just thought of this. The show did such a good job of like realizing or showing me like we're emotional creatures. Like I think. Danny is always portrayed as this very logical dude that's like he's trying to like piece things together. He always has a plan. Um, he's trying to help people, even though it all fails usually whenever he tries stuff. But I think at that moment, what he realizes is like and what's portrayed is like, no, in the midst of all this, Danny, as broken as he is, is just an emotional human being, like dealing with all this crap and trying to logically get his way out of it of like planning his way out of it of like trying to take care of his parents and that's a whole nother thing that we can all relate to right like of trying to take care of your parents and part of him breaking down was realizing like oh i can't do it all and I, we've all had that moment i think at a retreat or whatever and yeah maybe you don't believe in god and i i know this from our listeners some of us don't go to church anymore that are listening 
But like it's I think Tom's right. It's like a good reflection point of like, okay, if you don't believe in God, that's fine. But how are you gonna deal with your emotions if God doesn't exist? Like what are you gonna do in that type of setting? I think that's a really good question, I think, that the scene kind of provokes. Now, you know, we'll get into that, but the transformation of emotions is a whole nother thing because emotions, although they can be genuine, I don't think they lead transformation. Um, but really quick, to kind of, I guess, ex- expose any other things, can, to Jason's point and to that point of your friend Jason Chu, can parts of the church experience, though, be emotional manipulation? And I guess, Jason, to your point, you mentioned, like, yeah, it is. What are ways that we can, as maybe even pastors and members of churches, use emotions well to guide people to deeper discipleship, if that makes sense? Well, actually, I have a question for that. Jason, as a praise leader, do you feel like you have to awaken people's Mm -hmm. emotions? I think a lot of times I do. And, you know, I don't know if theologically, like, that's the right mindset to have. But I think any praise leader could would probably agree that oftentimes when we're crafting a set, you know, when we're thinking about transitions. Like the purpose um, of the fast song is to awaken us type yeah, of thing. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, you know. And we're, we're constantly thinking about how people are going to respond to a certain song or not. Is this a new song? Are people going to sing along? You know, like, is this is this a good response song after the sermon? You know, like... You know, you would not probably sing a brand new song as the mm-hmm. last song of an mm-hmm. Easter set, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so there are like intuitive considerations that go in knowing like, oh, there's going to be a moment and hey, this is going to sound so bad, but like, yeah, there's going to be a moment and how do we kind of like maximize that moment? And mm-hmm. so again, like um, in in the most cynical view, that's like straight up, you're really trying to like, manipulate people's emotions in a very specific way to elicit a certain response. But in the best case scenario, again, I think going back to our question in the mailbag, you know, you're, you're, you're aware of where your congregation is at and you're stewarding Mm. your gifts and all, and everything that's happening in that moment. And you're, I, I think you're, you're doing your, job as a worship leader right like i think there are certain songs you wouldn't open a set with knowing that like people are coming in in a very specific mindset you know that maybe they're not ready to sing at that moment um in a service and i think that's one way of caring for and shepherding your congregation well you know and so yeah and do you think it's different for an asian american setting than if you did a praise set for like a non you know anglo setting when it comes to like the emotions and waking them up? Hmm. I mean, that's tough because of uh, our, you know, our current context, if you've ever been to citizens, you know, we're, we're the frozen chosen over there. You know, (laughs) we are all of us, man. (laughs) you know, Stephen Yoon to come (laughs) just wake them up. (laughs) Sing amazing. You need to pay an actor to come (laughs) and break down. Like, yeah. So it's funny because like we have like a lot of the extras on beef, they're members of our church. And I literally was like, I have never seen you worship like that on Sundays, bro. Like, why, like, like, you know, all the moves, why don't you use them? You know, like I see those hands, you know, and yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, again, a shameless plug, but I, I think our, our musicians are 
like so gifted and our our worship leaders are um so uh prayerful and they're so intentional about the way they do things and sometimes it is frustrating because sometimes it feels like you know and th this is where like this is where you really ask yourself like what is your theology because sometimes it feels like oh man am i doing something wrong or like are we doing are we not doing something right to elicit the right responses but i think two things happen one is like you realize it isn't ultimately up to you like you you don't have the power to change a person's heart um but then two i think the thing we've been humbled by a lot is outward expressions of worship also don't equate to like what a sure. person is experiencing on the inside you which know? i think beef is an example of yes like yes. you expect danny to be transformed but the show only gets crazier and it's like oh you're stealing money from the church like right after that scene you know exactly so I, I totally agree with that and my brother's character i mean like he oh, hey. is like the most buttoned up christian like praise leader guy and he has like the most like depraved story arc you know you know what's sad is that marriage also that's depicted is like probably more common than not in our churches. You know, it's like, but that's a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Hey, but Jason to encourage you and to encourage any praise leaders, like I'm gonna let you know one thing. Uh, when you read the Psalms, it's so different than reading Romans or reading first Peter. Yes. Right. It's very emotional. And like, this is the thing. DA Carson wrote a song. It was the most theologically correct song. It had a lot of truth, and, and, and like they sing it live at a Gospel Coalition conference that was. But I was like, ooh, like, this song sucks. And at the end, it's like, oh, by the way, the song was written by D.A. Carson. I was like, oh, oh, my bad, my bad, right? But I was like, no, no. No, there's, a, there's, King David wasn't probably the most theologically, like, correct dude, right? A lot of his songs, when you read it, it's like, whoa, like, you're cursing God, you know? Or, like, you're trying to kill people and asking for that. But I think, like, Dude, like we need space for that. So the Psalms are such like a good invitation to that, right? That you know, for most Asian Americans, they can they'll they'll read Romans to encourage themselves more than the Psalms. And I'm just like I I think we got something mixed up. Where good mm. theology is good for the mind, and it should be always there, but there's something missing. Like the Psalms are missing in our life where we don't have this rich emotional response to God, good or bad. Yeah, go ahead. And I will say there's like, I mean, we they, we could go really deep into this because I think there's a whole like Asian American um, assimilating to white culture. Let's go. Like aspect here too as well. Because at some point, like, like honestly, like um, Eastern spirituality is far more like emotional, mystical, yeah. But like we learned very early on when like to assimilate to like the white man, you know, it had to be like, no, we had to be learned. And, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we had to like it like that was the like higher form of spirituality, a more like mind driven, like logical, rational kind of spirituality. And, you know, we looked at the kind of sometimes the what we perceived as like the overly emotional spirituality of our parents as kind of a lesser than. And yes. that's why I think a lot mm. of us who grew up in the morning prayer culture found guys like Tim Keller and we were like, oh, this is like real spirituality. Mm. And so we kind of like almost suppressed emotions as being a lesser spirituality. We kind of like 
made fun of overly emotional churches and we tried to be very you know scholarly logical i'm not realizing that i think that was one way we try to assimilate um to western spirituality and western culture do you i'm sure this is switching gears a bit but i read when Stephen Yoon sang that, you know, Amazing Grace song, and like you mentioned earlier, like he wanted the Chris Tomlin version. So you had like that upbeat version of Amazing Grace. And I think I read a commentary somewhere, like that's such like a Korean thing to do. Like you have that, that uppity song that's there. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's true, man. Like I remember that kind of uppity nature with certain songs that you just see the churches play and everyone resonates with that. And I, I guess I'm curious, like, like why is that like why that uppity type of song that's there why is that so universal amongst like the korean church do you guys have a thought on that mm. no jason what's your thoughts as leading thousands of songs the funny thing is that was the one song at least our church like was so like we would never have arranged amazing grace like that you know mm. whereas i know many churches would have um but like that was a foreign thing for us you know, and so that was actually like a really, I, I I thought it was a really nice exercise for our team because we, like I think our church definitely leans toward meditative, you know, reflective kind of worship sets. Yeah, and like that celebratory, you know, really upbeat, almost cheesy, um, like that's not really in our normal wheelhouse um so yeah like i i actually like on that i, I will say like that was new for us too um you know we, we weren't used to that and i also also say like I, jason has much more knowledge on this but just like you know i was on praising for a little bit playing fast songs well or hard <laughs> playing slow songs crappy but like getting by is like a little you know what i'm saying jason like i think we fall into that like I remember someone saying like Korean worship is like a really bad Coldplay uh like a uh, cover concert. And I was like, man, that's so true that like we just like at our church right now like we haven't clapped for 5 years because there are no fast songs, you know? And then there's something about clapping too where I'm like it's a little bit traumatizing where I'm just like there's something about it where I'm like, ah, oh, like I don't want to do this cuz this is bringing back bad memories a little bit, you know? So I was like that's a good question Tom brings up. I don't know. Yeah, because I went to a church recently where I guest preached, and like I just forgot what it was like to clap. So my arms were sore <laughs> the next day, and I realized like because it's it's hard because even the clapping became so like our faces were still really like <laughs> stoic, like we all had RBF, and yet we were clapping on the two and four, and it just didn't make sense. So like that's why it looked weird. You know, and I I, re, I remember like, um, like just walking into a church like, and the like the lights are off, and everyone's looking really stoic and clapping in unison. That's kind of scary if that's, you that's if you haven't grown up in the church. Yeah, that's very cultish. You know, because like you'll see clapping a lot at like, you know, concerts that you go to, like secular shows that you go to. Yeah. But it's like the clapping matches the vibe of the people like you know they're like you know they're like smiling and like laughing that's why like when when you see clapping in like the black church it's not as like jarring for me you know because like their 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 whole bodies are into no, they're it. like they're like dancing like down, yeah. you know up and down the aisle and I think exactly so but like but i think black culture you clap all the time like when do you clap in asian culture that's true 
So it's, so, and that's again um, that point you just made, Eugene, about clapping being triggering. That's one thing I I know I scoped like mm-hmm. the Reddit thread about this, yeah. and so much of like beef in those church scenes, as nostalgic it is for some folks, it's very triggering. So true yeah. for others because you know church was such a social center for Asian Americans, and yeah. if you didn't believe or you weren't fully like down with like what the church was trying to do, you felt so. Um, have you ever heard a term uttering? You've been like mm-hmm. othered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you feel so othered, meaning like uh, for people who don't know, like you're not fitting in with the social norms of that group. Mm. And I totally resonate with that because that was me. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm, yeah, I'm not part of this thing, but yeah. I'm curious. And it's like, oh, if you don't know how to sing the songs or clap mm-hmm. to the beat to the music, like you don't know, like, you know, even the come to the altar, if it, the PowerPoint's like one line, like, oh, come to, there's a, everyone knows there's a pause, the altar. <laughs> if you're saying that, you're just like, oh, you feel so like weird. <laughs> and it's like, man, there's these things that just makes you feel out of place. And yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that's for a lot of people. Yeah, church was very triggering for them that way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, totally, totally. Tom, I have a, not to, maybe to switch notes to you. Tom, I have a question for you. Like we, we talked about how if the praise leader is trying to be emotionally, you know, uh, intuitive. As a preacher, do you yourself ever think about that emotional aspect while you're preaching to you? Or is that something that you don't really think no about. i i do mm. um i think i feel like we're all taught at or maybe not seminary but in some type of preaching workshop sure. like you want to preach to the emotions and so that's why a lot of preachers they will end with like that story yeah as their final point you know um be and you know we know what they're doing like hey as all these principles are nice but it needs to touch your heart yeah. and so i do think you know when you take that to the extreme obviously you're manipulating in a twisted way but i also feel like you're not really preaching unless you're touching the emotions and so i think we could all agree with that because like james k smith talks about like we we are what we love and you want to shape their loves not just their mind so i do think preaching to emotions matters a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and like like to tom's point yeah look we can harp on that scene showing how churches can be emotionally manipulative but i've seen churches are intellectually manipulative if that makes sense where it's like, let me logic your way into making sure you believe this is the only way to see the Bible or this is the only way to, to, do, to do things. So I think manipulation is not just about the emotions, but it's also about any. You're always being manipulated. That's the whole point of being like, if you don't want to be manipulated, just stay home and like don't turn on the TV. Because the minute you go meet someone or turn on the TV or go to a large setting, you're being manipulated at one point, right? Um, so I, I think that's one point we got to consider, I, I guess end with this and you know, if any other thought comes up, bring it up, please. But with that, what are ways, like, I think that one thing that resonated with me, resonated with me with that scene was just like, man, we have to recreate that more because like, I think that's really missing in our settings, uh, in our current context. We just all talked about it, but yeah. How do we steward that manipulation? I don't want to say manipulation, but just, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we design maybe our church services our worship our sermons in a better way to elicit positive emotions for positive transformation because like horror movies for example tom's really big horror movie fan like a lot of horror movies will use cheap manipulative tactics to make you scared like like cheap jump scares or like music that's building up but like to me the most disturbing films are not the ones that use cheap scares but the ones that just Use a little dose of emotions here and there for the right time. Like, for example, the, the dude, Requiem for a Dream, that movie messed me up at the end. 
There was no jump scares, right? There was like, but they did play with your emotions with the music and with the scenes. But they did it, in, I think, in a very masterful and classful way. So I guess for us, like one question I want to end with, and if anything else comes up, please bring it up. But one question I want to end with was just like, how can we steward and design our services, our worships, our sermons, our church experience as a whole to be a positive transformation for our people? Because I think that scene at Beef really did challenge me of just like, man, we need more of this, but not really like that. But just, yeah, I don't know. Any any thoughts on that? I could start. Uh, very briefly, again, going back to what Jason said earlier, describing that scene, it was a real moment and you may respond to it as you wish. Mm-hmm. And I think churches, you know, again, like Jason mentioned, maybe we're all doing something with the emotions and there's some type of manipulation that takes place because that's just what happens. Sure. sure. But I think there is an extent where you do that, where you're trying to really micromanage their emotions into a certain way and mm-hmm. bring them to a certain place. Versus, no, we're going to be really real in this moment where all of our, our emotions are on display in this moment as well. And you could respond as, you know, as you respond. Mm-hmm. And so you're not like really controlling how they're going to respond, but you're setting up the table for them to really have an emo- emotional experience. Mm-hmm. You're not telling them what their emotions should be, though. Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. allowing them to have a genuine reaction to whatever it is that you're presenting in the mm-hmm. worship set and the preaching. So that's to me like you're not that's the the key I feel you're not telling them what to feel but you are allowing them to feel and you don't know where it's, how it's going to respond mm. because you're you're kind of presenting it to them and take it as it is. So I think it has to be really real and I think in light of that you're okay with any real response to whatever realism you're presenting about God. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Like that. Yeah, I like that a lot too. And I yeah, like I think you're right in that I think the the authenticity is key here where I think it's easy in ministry like to have to like go to the playbook mm-hmm. and have the template and that's almost the equivalent of hiring the like the actors to play worship team members you know mm-hmm. where you're basically saying like okay this is how I've seen it done yeah, yeah, and like it, it apparently worked over there at Elevation. So we're gonna try. <laughs> we're gonna try this exact thing at our church today. That is yeah. so like inauthentic to who you are as a worship leader and who you are as a congregation. You know, mm-hmm. and so like I think one like if you're involved in the worship service in any way as the preacher or as a praise team member, like what does creating like an authentic worship experience look like where you also are you in, in some ways, like you are also um, giving from a place of having received and, mm. and, and what you're expressing is also an authentic expression of, of your own worship. Yeah. And I would say like understanding your community here is key because, you know, like, for example, like, you know, we have worship leaders who are, who come from far more charismatic backgrounds. And I know that if if they had it like exactly the way they wanted to every week, like the worship would be far more like um, expressive and emotive, you know? Yeah. But I think the beauty of when you have like um, people leading worship who are connected to the community and are aware of where the community is at and they're willing to essentially like they see themselves truly as servants and they're willing to say okay this is where our congregation is at 
these are the types of people who are here. Um, you know, maybe some of the, like the people, a lot of the people in our community have church trauma and are yeah. triggered by certain kinds of experiences. And so we're gonna, the way we're gonna steward this role and the way we're gonna steward this season, you know, is to create this kind of a worship experience for our church. And so mm. I just think we need more worship leaders, pastors who are willing to kind of surrender their own like desire to do things a certain way um, in order to like best serve their congregation. And that also comes with maybe in certain seasons, you're like, you know, I feel like we can maybe challenge our, our community in this area, or we can give more permission for them to be a little more expressive or be, you know, allow themselves to feel a little bit more or get more in touch with their emotions. And I think all of that takes wisdom and discernment, but it really requires you to be a part of the life of your community, you know? Mm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. I think the only thing I can add to, to both those answers is to, to Tom's point, creating these spaces, but in also adding into that, leaving space to process that. So for example, I already kind of mentioned this, but in that scene, when the pastor comes up, I don't know why he does because that always ha does happen. But, you know, it, I I watched that scene just before we recorded this. And I remember he says like, oh, you know, well, first, the prayer is kind of heretical. He says, Jesus, our heavenly God. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> they, should, they should ask Jason about the prayer. But he said, oh, Jesus, our heavenly God, uh, we want to welcome this new brother into our into our family, you know? And I, I, that struck me something where I was just like, man, even when these emotional moments happen, I think often as leaders and pastors, we feel kind of rushed to like, oh, we, we, we got to do something with it. Mm -hmm. Like we, we got to mm -hmm. use it for momentum or we got to speak into it. But I'm just like, man, no, I think we just got to let it like marinate. Because to Jason's point, some of this is real. Some of it is also like not real. That's the nature of emotion. So meaning... I think people can have emotional experiences, but it doesn't mean one, they're mature or two, it doesn't mean that like they're needing of your help at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to create these spaces as Tom mentioned, but also learn to like sit in that uncomfortable, let's let it marinate and process on its own. Like we don't need to always use it for some sort of momentum or vision plan or whatever it may be. We're emotional beings and emotions are fleeting and strong. Um, so I think just letting it marinate and letting it just kind of ride out on some, I think it's really necessary because that's how emotions work. And I think that's how healthfully through those habits, like on a long-term basis, that emotions can be healthy for the church as a whole. So that's the only thing I would add to you. So cool. Any, any, uh, any last thoughts on, on beef or anything else you guys want to add? Dude, Jason, good job creating the, the most viral moment of the series. You really did. That was all you, man. You really did. And, you the, and hey, the two lines. Yeah, I don't know if you know this yet. But I, I heard it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I heard him. Jason, see you at the they, potluck. They, they, didn't, they didn't put me on screen, though. So, obviously, it wasn't good enough. <laughs> oh, were, were you filmed on, like... They were. They did film an angle of me, uh, like, on my face. They, so, they chose the angle without your <laughs> they, face. They chose the angle without my face, hey, so... If we get sunny, I'm, I'm going to bring that up, Jason. I'm going to bring that up. Put our co-host on the film. No. Uh, Jason, good job. I, I really... Yeah, I think you had a pivotal 
whether you knew it or not, a piece of like making this a viral moment. So, and I really think in a weird way, God's using it in, in its own way. You know, I don't know. Yeah, how I mean, it, it was like truly like a like a multiverse, like one like it was a such a weird but like incredible like moment because it was like you know our worship team like my some of my closest friends mm. my little brother like like sunny my college best friend like and then like citizens people like doing worship like for you know for the show at that point it, it could, to be honest it could, didn't matter it, what the show was going to become it was such like a like just such a great moment for me um so to be a part of Hey, shout out to Justin too. I, I really didn't like him within the first couple episodes. He did a, he did a really good job being that pretentious phrase leader. So cool. Hey, thanks for listening. If you have the time, I would really recommend if you haven't watched Beef yet, it's on Netflix. Just search Beef. It's probably the number one or two show right now. And if your pastor gets mad that you watched it, you you didn't hear it from us. But from that, thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed and hope to see you on the next episode.